0: you are listening to the through the bible studio series with pastor nate holdridge join us as we continue our study through the old testament book of proverbs here's nate proverbs 21 verse 1 the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the lord he turns it wherever he will Now, this is a very famous proverb. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard it before. And the idea here is that in Israel, a farmer would have small irrigation channels that were directed by these uh, various water courses. And so the idea here is that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like those water courses in the hand of the farmer. The farmer could direct the water where he wanted it to go in his fields, and so the Lord can direct the hearts of kings. And there are many examples of this, the sovereignty of God working in the hearts of kings, all throughout the pages of Scripture. Cyrus is one of our most glaring and beautiful examples of this, in that God prophesied of him years before he was even born and years before his people were even a people of prominence, that when he came onto the scene, he would be the one to direct the people of Israel to go back into the promised land after years of captivity to rebuild the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. And the book of Ezra is a record of that prophecy from Isaiah and Jeremiah being fulfilled. And so this helps the believer cling to the idea that figures in authority, we need to cry out to God that he would steer their hearts, their minds, in the direction that opens the opportunity for the kingdom of God to advance. Verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart. Now, this is similar to chapter 16, verse 2, but there what it says is that the Lord weighs the spirit. Here we see that every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. It's fascinating how easily we can self-deceive. Here in the proverb, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but we must guard against thinking that we are right there is the possibility, of course, that we are wrong and that our perspectives are incomplete or at worst, sinful and rebellious. And so we've got to give God space to weigh our motives. This is why I think it's so important to have a daily time before the Lord in prayer and in his word. You're giving God an opportunity to speak into your heart and to show you the motivations of your soul. But but please don't stop there. Move into Christian fellowship. Find a church that strongly communicates and, and teaches the word of God. And, and in these relationships and in that kind of community, you are going to come up against your own motivation from time to time. This is a way for you to allow the Lord to weigh your heart. Verse three, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This is, of course, a deeply rooted Old Testament concept. Micah, the prophet, likely said it best in Micah 6, verse 6 through 8, when the Lord said, with what shall I come before the Lord, or the prophet said, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Verse four, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. Here, the idea is that Pride is the way that the wicked navigate life. Uh, It's the lamp of the wicked. And it is also what uh, the wicked are admired for. And and as you look out at our culture and world and you see people who are obviously living lives that are contrary to scripture, uh, you might find those who are admired for so doing. It's it's a life of pride that they are being celebrated for. It, it, the haughty eyes, a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked uh, are sin. It's, it's the very thing that illuminates their lives. The plans, verse 5, of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The precious possession of a man is diligence, according to Proverbs 12, verse 27, but There is a haste that comes, and that's what this proverb is about. It's speaking of a resourceful people. Verse 6, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. In other words, it is fleeting vapor and criminal, a snare of death, to get treasures with a deceptive tongue. You instead want to be a person that's honest and, and upright. Verse seven, the violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. In other words, their violence is now personified. It comes along and it sweeps the wicked person away. And this helps us understand that the final analysis of all humanity will be self-blame, not God-blame. In other words, they cannot say it was ultimately God who was at fault, Ultimately, it will be the person themselves who is swept away by their own evil. Verse 8: The way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. And again, we just have another one of these simple contrast-styled proverbs. You have uh, the pure, their conduct is upright, and you have the guilty their conduct or their way their path their 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 methodology is crooked it's just embedded in their bones it is better verse 9 to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife now this is one of the classic proverbs which starts with it is better to and then gives you this these two scenarios so the two scenarios here are living in a corner of a housetop versus inside a house with a quarrelsome wife. So the idea here is that it's better to have little with peaceful relationships than an abundance with strife-filled relationships. Now, I think it's important from time to time to remind you and to mention that this book, the book of Proverbs, is primarily written to a son. That's why you have these genders being thrown around in Proverbs like these. Uh, Had the father been writing to his daughter, he may have said it's better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome husband, uh, which is more than possible. Uh, So the reason that a wife is mentioned or a woman is mentioned is not because the Proverbs consider women to be shrill or given to quarreling. Uh, It's just that It's being written to a son who is being now warned about a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome woman. But what's being told to us here really is that when you have peace and relationships, it is such a blessing. But one strife-filled relationship can just really ruin all of life. And you might have a home, you might have great possessions and great security, but if you have strife in your key relationships in life, It brings such misery to the soul. Verse 10, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. In other words, sin dulls one's view of others. You know, the wicked person comes along, all he wants is evil. His neighbor is there, but his neighbor cannot get any mercy from him. In other words, what sin does to your heart is it creates within you a dullness about other human beings. There's this sense in which uh, you do not have a passion for, a love for, a desire for others because sin has dulled your heart. And of course, as sin continues to progress in your heart, not only are you dulled towards others, but you begin to objectify and do evil against others Because there's no room for you to have even a sense of mercy or of humanity for that person. Verse 11, when a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. When a man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Uh, So the question here with this proverb is is very simple. You look at it, you see that the scoffer, well, he, he gets it when he becomes punished. He gets wisdom through harsh consequences, but a wise man, he gets wisdom and gets knowledge simply through instruction. He doesn't need to be beaten. He doesn't need to be punished. He simply hears instruction and gains knowledge. And so the question is, if both of these figures get wisdom and get knowledge, but get them through two different channels, the question is, what language do you understand? Do you only understand the language of punishment and consequences and depression and severity and things that come after sin or can you receive it through simple instruction and I think it's so much better wouldn't we say to learn not by experience all the time but by simply hearing the word of God Verse 12 The righteous one observes observes the house of the wicked he throws the wicked down to ruin so God here observing the house of the wicked. He throws down the the, the wicked to ruin. Uh, The idea here, of course, is that we have lives that we're going to build. It reminds us of the way that Jesus closed out the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, if you hear these words of mine and do not do them, you'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so we want to live and build our lives upon his word, including these Proverbs. Verse 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. This is a fascinating proverb that relays a sentiment that is found all throughout the Bible. And the sentiment is simple, that God sees the poor and he longs for his people to also see the poor. And when they do, when they, when they see the poor and respond to them, God is well pleased with that action. Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 9, speaks of the doing of righteousness and, and justice. And that, you know, when we offer a sacrifice but yet have blood on our hands, uh, God is not pleased by that. But what he's looking for is a fast where we share our bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into our homes and, and cover the nakedness of those who are poor. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 14, A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe strong wrath. Now, this proverb does not condemn or condone. It merely observes the effectiveness of this particular practice. This happens time to time throughout the Proverbs. Uh, There are Proverbs we've studied that talk about uh, the giving of a bribe and the effectiveness of a bribe. It's not saying give bribes. It's saying we've observed this in humanity. When a bribe is given, it produces in a person's life. Now, there are righteous ways to give a secret gift to avert anger. One great example of this is Abigail in 1st Samuel 25. Nabal, her foolish husband, was angry at David wrongly and wanted to refuse him generosity. David then responded in anger. I think it was some pent-up anger that he'd had about Saul, but he wanted to kill Nabal. And Abigail went out after hearing this and gave David a secret gift to intercede for her husband and David relented from the disaster he was going to bring upon Nabal because of the secret gift of Abigail. Verse 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Hey, this is true. Anytime you see some kind of scandal that begins to set a domino effect in a culture. Maybe, for instance, a major well-known figure is accused of some kind of sexual abuse, and then there's this domino effect of others being outed for their sexual abuse as the culture begins to snowball in support for those who have been victimized by sexual abuse. When that kind of snowball is happening and names are coming out and people are being accused, when justice is done and that's happening, the righteous have joy. But if you're an evildoer, man, you walk around in paranoia, you're afraid because you never know, am I now going to be caught in the midst of this? So it just speaks of having a clinging conscience in the midst of you know going through times of justice being executed one verse 16 who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead this idea is that it's one of the most painful experiences to watch someone wander from the way of good sense, because you know what's coming. The assembly of the dead is going to come. So likewise, it's also a deep joy to watch someone walk into the way of good sense. Uh, But here you see someone walking away and you just know, man, we know where that's going to lead. Verse 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Now, This is not a rebuke of luxury, but of an excessive self-indulgence, which leads to poverty. So, you know, you love pleasure, uh, you love wine, love oil, you love luxury in an excessive self-indulgent kind of way. Uh, You're actually not as rich as you think you are because you're living a shallow kind of life. But there is the richness that comes from being rich in spirit uh, as you're poor in spirit and you realize your need for God, he fills you up and blesses your life. We we really can't find contentment from things and satisfaction from things. Verse 18, the wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. Now, this is a little bit of a confusing proverb. How can the wicked or the traitor be a ransom for? for the upright. how How is the wicked or a traitor buying the upright out of some kind of predicament or even slavery? Well, perhaps what's happening here is that their experiences are tied together. Maybe what's being said is that when the wicked persecute the righteous, life is hard for the righteous. But when that wicked person is judged by God, it's as if the righteous person has been set free. You know, if if your persecutor is coming against you and then they are judged, that is, it's like you've been ransomed. You've been set free. Verse 19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So here we have another one of these Proverbs talking about uh, the, the fretful or quarrelsome woman and another one of the better than Proverbs uh, here, the idea is more than talking about a worrying person of uh, fr- being fretful, but the idea is that of being a grating, nagging, or vexing person. That's the idea of the word fretful. So, you know, being that kind of person, always down, always negative, always worrying, always, you know, thinking the worst about the situation, uh, that, that is a tiring thing for the people in your life to go through. Verse 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now, this is fascinating because the Proverbs allow for a balanced and healthy preparation for the future. You know, there, there you have to take all of the scripture together to find that balanced perspective. It is wrong scripturally. To save up for the future in a sense where you are now trusting in that wealth and saying to yourself, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry because, you know, I'm good. I am secure. No, you, but then it is also, it seems, wrong to be irresponsible financially. It seems that the balance is to be a person who says, I'm going to save as as best I can. I'm going to be pr- prepared for the future as best I can, trusting the Lord all the way. But the reality is I know that my full provision comes from God and I cannot be uh, secure because of these things. I have to be secure because of him. Verse 21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. So the idea here is that, of course, We want to find life. We want to find righteousness and we want to find honor. So the way we get them is by pursuing righteousness and kindness. In other words, as you make that your target, these great blessings will flow into your life. Verse 21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Verse 22 a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Now, I think there's many great lessons to glean from this particular proverb, but there seems to be a lesser point and a greater point. The lesser point seems to be strategy can overcome strength. The wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. It's reminiscent of a statement from Ecclesiastes chapter Nine, where Solomon uh, saw something that was very vain. He saw a little city with a few men in it. A great king came and besieged it. Uh, But there was a poor man who was wise in that city. And through his wisdom, he delivered the city, but no one remembered him. So the idea there is that this very poor man, he was wise. And with his counsel, they had a strategy that overcame strength. And that seems to be a similar point that's being made in this proverb, that strategy can overcome sheer or brute strength. Uh, But there seems to be a greater point. The greater point seems to be that godly wisdom can overcome ungodly strength. You know, the church... I think needs to receive this because as we look out at the world we live in, the truth of the matter is that the strength that is outside in the world is incredible. But if we have character, if we have godliness, if we have righteousness within, we have a great weapon that will enable us to be effective in reaching the people in our communities. Verse 23 Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The idea here is that unguarded speech can get one into great trouble. You know, as we look out at our society, obviously communication is becoming easier and easier, faster and faster. Uh, Where we used to have to write letters and then eventually we're able to write emails. Now we can send text messages and uh, communicate Uh, via the internet instantaneously. And so this means that it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we guard our mouths, that we guard our tongues because so much negative stuff can come uh, from uh, what we say and what we do. Verse 24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. This is a dangerous person that's being described here. The desire, verse 25, of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. It's amazing how our own internal desires often self-sabotage and kill us. Here you have a sluggard who has desire, but that desire is actually ends up killing him. And and again, that's what's so fascinating about human nature is that so often it's the desires that are within that hurt us the most. It's not that we are victims from the outside, but victims from within so often. And it's so beautiful that Jesus has come along to be able to deal with our hearts. And when he taught uh, there in the Gospel of Mark, he communicated that the evil it comes from within it comes from the heart but fortunately through the gospel uh, that heart can be dealt with as we now walk with the lord and enjoy him in our lives but here the righteous person gives and does not hold back that's the goal for the righteous is to be able to live a life of generosity verse 27 the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination How much more when he brings it with evil intent? You know, it's bad enough to act spiritual when you're living in sin, but even worse to do it with an evil mind. Uh, You know, the idea here is that you've got someone who is acting as if they are worshiping, acting as if they are sacrificing if they're wicked and they're doing that, that's an abomination. But what if there is some kind of insidious thing that is going on in their heart? You know, maybe a modern example of this would be that it's bad enough for a man who is living in sin to continue to show up at church on Sundays, acting as if all is well, and that he's living a righteous life, obviously. If you're in sin, you're caught in sin. You got caught up. Church is the place to be, to go, to confess your sins, to to find the help that you need. Uh, churches should be that. But to 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 live with that hypocrisy, that is evil. But what if he does that in order to not only continue in sin, but to go there to prey on women or something like that, to take advantage of others? That is a worser. Evil here, the proverb says. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Verse 28, a false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. Now this is meant as a contrast. Other translations of the second phrase, the word of a man who hears will endure, are uh, a careful listener will testify successfully, or the man who listens to the truth will speak forever, or the one who listens will speak successfully. The the idea is there's a false witness who doesn't listen, doesn't let it sink in, and he perishes, but, but someone who listens carefully. They will testify successfully. They will speak the truth forever. And so again, the idea of communicating righteously. Verse 29, a wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. The, the idea here is that the upright has given thought to his ways so he does not have to put on a bold face because he has real boldness that comes from a clean life. Uh, this is a beautiful thing when you, when you find and discover boldness because you're clean, because you're pure. Verse 30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the lord there is there is no word according to this proverb like the lord's word like the lord's wisdom like the lord's understanding like the lord's counsel none of that can come up against can avail against the lord it reminds us of course of that new testament phrase 2nd Timothy 3:16 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching reproof correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work so the word of god you know let let us enjoy it and embrace it no wisdom no understanding no counsel can come up against it finally verse 31 the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. To me, this statement is an Old Testament version of Philippians two twelve to thirteen, where Paul told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, I have salvation. And if I have salvation, I should live it out with fear and trembling. Work out the salvation that I have. Work it outside of me. Live it out. But you know, as I do, it's God who works in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The, the proverb says it this way. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. You You do your part but the victory. Where does the victory come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.